0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women's Scholars and Professionals podcast. My name is Anne Boyd, and I'll be your host. We at Women's Scholars and Professionals are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school— a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Let me invite you into a conversation with Janice McWilliams, therapist and author of Restore My Soul, Reimagining Self-Care for a Sustainable Life. Janice's work as a therapist has given her a clear-eyed understanding of the ways personal and professional stresses can take a toll on human well-being, and the way Jesus can serve as an example of balanced living. In her book, Janice describes the pitfalls we can stumble into around the areas of thoughts, emotions, and life rhythms, then sketches out sensible and actionable practices to counteract our struggles. This book, my friends, contains exactly the kind of mature spiritual wisdom I need as I head into Thanksgiving and Christmas and the end of the calendar year with all the complicated family and work and personal difficulties that can show up for me. Janice and I cover a lot of practical tips in our conversation, and I think you'll walk away from this with fresh ideas about how to stay grounded in stressful times. So, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Janice McWilliams is a licensed clinical professional counselor and a certified spiritual director with graduate degrees from Loyola University and Howard University. Janice has nourished a lifelong curiosity about human nature. This has propelled her to serve in campus ministry, to speak and train groups in churches and organizations, and to work as a therapist, spiritual director, and writer. Her love of the depths and intrigue of the human experience is matched by her desire to find her place in God's work of restoring and revitalizing souls everywhere. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here with us. I'd like to start by asking about the ways that you've been connected with academic rhythms in your own work and training, since that's where a lot of our listeners are centered. So can you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Absolutely, i for many, many years since I graduated from college myself, I've been on staff with university, And so that has placed me right in the center of Mm -hmm. academic rhythms, especially when I was in direct campus work. Mm -hmm. And one of my great passions has always been to try to help people really see the university as a mission field. And to be able to live following Jesus in that place and do kingdom living without burning out. Jesus does not want us to burn out. Yes. That is my absolute passion belief. And so trying to, I'm even speaking at a conference coming up here with students, really trying to lean into what does it mean then to be in the rhythms of academia and the competitiveness and the busyness and stress and strain and remembering what it means to be attached to the the big H hope in mm-hmm. our lives and mm-hmm. and just the the meaningful community that is there and the spaces that people have to be able to be in contact in a in a real loving um life on life way. Yeah. Without just completely forgetting all that or feeling like, you know, attaching myself to Kingdom Living means I'm gonna become overwhelmed and not able to kind of complete my assignments or get my papers submitted or get my coursework done. So I have, yes, the academic rhythms have been very real in the better part of my adult life.
0: Yeah. And, and I so appreciate your perspective on that. And the way that, um, like your understanding of the way that perfectionism and um, pressures can just feel really overwhelming. Oh, yeah. So let's talk, you've really written a book about this. Let's talk about your book. It's (laughs) entitled Restore My Soul, Reimagining Self-Care for a Sustainable Life. And this book is about self-care, but not necessarily the kind of self-care that prescribes bubble baths and yoga classes, although those can be nice, um, yes. but as you describe them, they, they can be one-dimensional. And instead, you offer a different approach for life-sustaining self-care. So can you say a little bit about this distinction?
1: Yes, absolutely. I am a therapist and spiritual director um, in, in my the latter part of my professional life here. And I realized that no matter what people were coming to my office for what you know whatever life crisis or marital blow up or professional implosion or other stresses and strains they had that we almost always zeroed in on talking about a cluster of a few things that are all represented in my book that mm-hmm. we'll unpack some but the idea that kind of helped all those things tie together was how can i help people really feel like they know how to take care of themselves in a moment or in an hour and not just run kind of the unsustainable life rhythm that so many people are in to the point of kind of this burnout and exhaustion so that they do you know finally stop and take a spa day or 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 sign up for a yoga class Mm -hmm. only to then resume The unsustainable life rhythm right after they're finished. And, and so I have, I realized that people are really growing in an understanding of self-care as far as the stopgap occasional experiences, but I don't see people growing as well in that sort of granular hour to hour, day to day. How do I feel any better besides quitting something?
2: Right.
1: Um, or, resigning from my volunteer role or um taking a leave of absence you know are pretty extreme things because they just can't see another way to be able to feel better
2: right
1: and and that was just ah, like bubbling in my soul like this can't be that everyone that comes into my office really pretty much needs the same set of tools mm-hmm. and and so that's where that the book was born out of really wanting to get into the hands of people more ideas about how they can really with interventions that are not gigantic, make a big difference in the way they feel. And I, and I think that Jesus wants that. Mm -hmm. Jesus lived a life of moving really fast sometimes and moving really slow. Sometimes he had things he did, um, We don't see him doing kind of the same thing every single day, but we can look at his life and pull out some, some lessons, you know, Mm -hmm. what what does it look like for us to live in a way that sort of interrupts the rhythm in our hours and days and not just in these big picture ways.
0: Yeah, there is. I mean, I know this in myself that I have this desire to live the kind of life where I don't like need a vacation or, you know, need some kind of break from the rest of my life to feel fulfilled or restored? You know, what are the kinds of things that I need to build in so that just living my life is, you know, has a natural rhythm of, um of effort and, you know, good work, but also restoration. And so that's, it's super interesting to me, this idea.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Because, our vacations or our retreat days or occasional, you know, spa day fishing trip experiences, they work best for us when they're renewing mm-hmm. and restoring and not just recovery. Yeah. And too often that's, that's what's happening. People are getting to that point of overwhelm, burnout, and fatigue, and then they, you know, yeah. full stop and do something like that, which I'm glad people do, but it's, I feel like those are so much better grafted into a life that is feeling pretty okay. Yeah. Then when we break, we really get all the benefits of, of breaking up our rhythms in that way too. And not just, you know, kind of crawling out of this pit.
0: Yeah. That is great. So your book is structured around these three main centers of engagement. So the first are thoughts and the second emotions and then the third you call rhythms Mm -hmm. and you talk about that uh tending to these centers can help lead each of us into a fulfilling life and I know there's a connection here with the writings of Suzanne Stabile and the Enneagram and we had Suzanne um on the podcast in February of this year 2022 And your book has been refreshing my memory of her good work. So, can you talk a little bit about that connection?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have long been a student of the Enneagram. It's really central to the work I do with my own clients. Um, and during the pandemic, I took an online course with Suzanne on the repressed centers.
0: Janice, for somebody who doesn't know much about the Enneagram, what's kind of a a you know a, a bird's eye view? a high-level uh, overview of what how this can impact a person's reading of your book.
1: Yeah, you, you definitely don't need to know the Enneagram to appreciate my book, but I do have an appendix, at end for those mm-hmm. of you who are students of the Enneagram, that you will find really interesting. And the Enneagram is basically a wisdom tradition that helps us understand our deepest motivations, and the things that might come easily for us, and the things that we really might have to be intentional to and work hard at to be able to do better, to have more balance and, um, and just wholeness in our life. My book actually will probably, for those of you who, who understand that kind of thinking, it's, there are going to be parts of my book that stand out to you as most helpful to you because of your Enneagram type mm-hmm. and because of what's what comes more naturally and what you have to work hard to be able to do. So for some of the Enneagram types, being able to kind of order your thinking and, and have your cognitive attention focus in in a better place is going to be most helpful. For others, it's more being able to have more awareness of your emotions and name them and to be able to acknowledge and experience them and be with Jesus in that, in those spaces. And for others, it's going to be doing the things in your life that create some rhythm and order, or um, help you feel some kind of sense of accomplishment or getting something done or intentional focus or really rich and satisfying work, you know, or a connection with a person. So for different, I think that, that, All the chapters probably would benefit everyone to look at, but there's just going to be some things that are probably going to be highlighted for you based on your type. As far as what I'm talking about in this work of what it means for you to be able to kind of strengthen that, that weaker link inside of you to be able to have more of this moment to moment, hour to hour, sustainable self-care that helps you do the things in your life and be connected to people the way you want to.
0: Yeah, I I mean I agree that I think all of the chapters are really useful and I know from reading Suzanne's work um in the past and doing my own kind of enneagram exploration the part I think for me that um that I can get stuck on are the the rhythms taking action in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because reading that I've actually already done a lot of those things. So I have some habits that are already in place and so it was helpful to look at thoughts and emotions from that same perspective anyway there's so much richness in this let's let's get into the nitty-gritty of this i want to take each of these elements in turn and maybe we'll offer an example or two for each and so let's begin by talking about thoughts i know Mm -hmm. that mine can just run away without my permission and i think i'm not the only one (laughs) So you, you talk about this practice, um, that you call attention training. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. Uh, the late great Dallas Willard said one of my favorite things that really has focused a lot of the work that I do. And that's that, that's this, that our ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about.
0: Hmm. Can can you say that one more
1: time? I just want to hear it again. Yeah. The ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about. Hmm. So consider this. If you spend an hour fretting over whether your name is going to be on that research paper that you're hoping to have your name on, Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're probably going to feel pretty bad at Mm -hmm. the end of that hour. If you are, um, spend an hour stressing about whether your child's going to get into the college of their, you know, their choosing, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to feel pretty stressed and worried at the end of that hour. So what I talk about in my book is what does it look like to actually notice that we're in a, a thought pattern that's going to affect our mood and nothing affects our mood more Mm -hmm. than our thoughts and, and to notice it to recognize it and to be able to invite our attention to shift towards what we're doing basically, or something that is more helpful. This is not a, not a practice of denial or suppression, but rather being able in any given hour to be able to have more moments present and in contact with what we're doing, which always makes us feel more fulfilled. And research study after research study touts this, it says when we're more present, we feel better. When we're stuck in our heads and swirling around and thoughts that that are either despairing or worrying or ruminating, we just, we feel worse. And so that it's kind of tedious, but that work of shifting our attention is absolutely so helpful to being able to feel better in a mm-hmm. given hour in a given you know moment. And so that and those moments and hours add up. It's kind of like if you picture an old-fashioned scale and and they're in a given hour, you have more minutes in the present moment than you do stuck in your head. you're you're just gonna feel better. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I feel like it, it, there's almost nobody who couldn't do well to examine the way that they think and and i have several skills in my book that directly relate to being able to learn how to do this and to be able to give our focused attention to things that matter to us for instance it probably matters to us that we be included on the research paper that mm-hmm. we're working on or that our child has a perhaps a really you know good backup plan in case they don't get into the school of their choosing. Right. I mean, so we need to be be able to figure out, well, how do I work on that cognitively, you know, with my thoughts well without tanking my mood in these kind of repetitive um thought cycles that can really we can get hooked into that just mm-hmm. come swirl and swirl and swirl.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I actually this particular skill I um was talking uh, with my teenage daughters about even just reading the titles of books on a shelf helped helped one of my kids to just kind of pull pull wow. out of that that spinning um oh no oh no oh no train of thought yep shifting attention
1: and jesus said who by worrying can add a single day to their life yeah and i i think it's a very pastoral word for us mm-hmm. to you know we it is not helpful to spin 300 hours on a problem that may need three hours of our attention, but it doesn't need 300. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So let's move on for a minute to emotions. There Mm -hmm. is a lot that can go awry when we don't care for our emotions. And you have some really great suggestions. Can you talk a little bit about your process that you describe as name, allow, and experience? Yes.
1: I call this feel your feels Mm. (laughs) and work with a lot of my clients and directees on this. It basically is simply a process of noticing and naming, like looking inside and defining what is this emotion I'm experiencing, trying to give it a name.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: an emotions chart can be really helpful. Just yeah. get one online and have it at the ready as, as you're, especially as you're learning. But just what is what emotion is coming up for me and naming it. Now allowing it is um, quite a process For a lot of us because we have a lot of harangues a lot of messaging um and a lot of hang-ups about judging certain emotions to be not allowed or Mm -hmm. bad or you you know inferior and i i just believe that everything the best place for everything in our inner worlds to be experienced is in relationship with jesus Mm -hmm. and so allowing that it's there just might even mean acknowledging, you know, Jesus, here I am.
2: Yeah.
1: Jealous. You know, that's one of the baddies, right? That mm-hmm. anger, you know, mm-hmm. are they're just some that we deem, you know, un- unhelpful and not, you know, not allowed for believers. Yeah. And yet we're created with the capacity for all of them. <laughs> they come up and they have so much to show us and teach us mm-hmm. if we do not fight them so hard. So much of the suffering we experience around emotions is because we're harshing ourselves because of them are trying to shove them down. Mm-hmm. So naming and allowing in Jesus presence, and then just experiencing the emotion as best we can, allowing the emotion to be felt and experienced. And here's the crazy thing is that when we don't mess with, with the experience of an emotion when we don't try to shove it away it only really takes about 45 to 90 seconds to experience oh. i know isn't that mm-hmm. crazy it has been so liberating for me and for so many of the people i work with that understand that because a lot of times people feel afraid i'm going to become overwhelmed by this emotion and i'll never stop feeling it mm-hmm. but think about it when we experience joy and, and that starts to come up and we can name and, and allow it. We, we're not afraid we're going to be joyful forever. Right, you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or, oh, I'm afraid I'll be happy and never be able to stop being happy. You know, it's, we don't, we don't have that kind of fear. We know that there's kind of an arc and, and it has a peak, you know, and mm-hmm. then it kind of resolves. Mm-hmm. And, and so being able to understand that about the emotions that are more difficult for us is, is really helpful because yeah, if you experience it without trying to mess with it, it's probably going to take about a minute for you right. to do it. So I have I have some something in the book that you know spells out exactly how to go about trying to allow ourselves to experience the emotions more. The more we're naming and allowing and experiencing, the more well acquainted we're going to become with what's going on inside and the more able we're going to be. To be emotionally aware and attuned on the fly when we need it
0: so i want to ask a question about this Um, and it's really about identifying an emotion but at a at a moment when you don't have time to process it and i guess i'm curious to know i i believe you about the 45 to 90 seconds but I also know that I've experienced um, weeping for like 20 minutes at least. You know? And there are times, of course, when that's not really appropriate. You have to kind of wait and find the right moment for that. So how do you, um, I guess my question is two parts. One is what is the distinction between the 45 to 90 seconds and then the the extended weeping that just sometimes has to happen? Maybe that's because it was stuck for a long time. Um, and then... Also, you know, what, particularly for women who can be criticized for being overly emotional, what tips do you have? What do we do when we find ourselves um, kind of heated with emotion at a particular moment that is where it's really not okay to get into that at that time?
1: Yeah, well, and who told us that it was not okay? But, right <laughs> right. okay there's, there's so much to both of these questions yes
0: we can, um, we can, we have to we have to break down the patriarchy but first we can't cry right. <laughs>
1: right uh I hear you on that though okay so the 45 to 90 seconds as opposed to the kind of prolonged you know weeping and and processing that that is very very much a part of life to that I would say sometimes when we are actually in, in a process of trying to go deeper, so I can, I, I relate to that too. Mm -hmm. I might be journaling about something that's really, you know, powerfully impactful for me. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll, I'll usually be experiencing waves of weeping, you know, and then another wave of weeping right? -hmm. and another wave of weeping. It's, it's not as common for it to be uninterrupted you know, and, and and constant, and I think that is because that thing is happening where, you know, there's the experience of one wave of the mm-hmm. of the sadness, and then as I continue processing or thinking about it, there's another yeah. aspect of it or a deeper layer that comes up, and then I have another wave of sadness, mm-hmm. and I experience that. Same with anger. Mm. Processing a, a, a lot of times, just journal with a red pen when I'm angry. You know, I keep nice. it and and I'm. <laughs> Oh yes, this this made me so angry. And then like I I keep working on it and realize, oh my gosh, and this, you know, there there's another, there's another aspect of it I hadn't considered before. And there's mm-hmm. another experience of that anger. Mm-hmm. And so when we are, you know, in an intentional process of trying to really process something that's so deep and riveting to us, I think that we do experience it as wave, mm-hmm. wave after wave as we un lock the layers. Yeah.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Now to your
1: second point, what do we do when, when we don't really want to be crying in a certain situation or, are you know, losing it in, yeah. in, in a way that's inappropriate to that? I believe that the more we're practicing, feel, feel, feel your feels in the constancy of our life. Then the more adept we're going to be in a moment like that, Mm -hmm. to be able to even just internally name, I am really getting angry Mm -hmm. Now, when you even are able to see that and notice that and know physiologically what that feels like in your body and call it out to your, to yourself. I mean, yeah, um, you are in a completely different place than the person who does not have that capacity. Yeah right? Because Mm -hmm. then you're able to then decide what does it mean for me to respond in a way that reflects who and how I want to be in this moment and not just be in an unconscious reactive state. Yeah. Right. So I think of, um, Jesus in the, the very famous, um, passage of him being in the temple. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, I look at that whole story and I think, You know, this wasn't the first time he had noticed money changers. Right. He had seen it many times and he probably felt really angry and did not unconsciously move into a reactive state. You know, he, he, he saw it, he moved on. And then at the time in the scriptures, when he did think this is, this is the time I would like for people to know my anger and I'm going to express it. Mm -hmm. So he, he does so. Um, And that's the kind of model I think we have in Jesus of that, that sometimes we, it is, we do well to show our emotions, Mm -hmm. but when we lose control of how we would like those emotions to be expressed, that's when I think a lot of us, you know, really, really feel regret. Yeah. Um, So it's the difference between even just, you know, talking to our kids when they're growing up of being able to, to say, I, I'm really angry instead of, um, just, you know, throwing the dish across the room.
0: Right. Right.
1: So that's, you know, I, I feel like it's a difficult question that you're asking. Yeah. I I mean, and, and even the accusation of, um, being too emotional that gets, um, gets put up in front of women, it really does make me angry. Yeah. Because there there is expression of emotion in men that is accepted and Mm -hmm. tolerated often that isn't in women. And it's not fair.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's work to be done there. But in the meantime, I... I think I can see what you're saying. I think there have been times in my own life when I've been in a situation where I've felt hurt or angry and I'm able to kind of pause for even just like a split second to say, oh, that hurt, or I'm going to need to look at that a little bit more later. And then it, um, it doesn't feel like I'm ignoring it and it doesn't feel like I'm suppressing it. I'm kind of just putting it on a shelf and making a contract with myself to examine that a little bit later. And then, and then I do. And then, yes. but it, um, but it does make it, I think it makes it, Um, it feels like I'm able to trust myself with my emotions in, mm-hmm. in a way that I wouldn't, if I had just ignored that.
1: You know, I love that you're saying that because if you're able to say, oh, I was really hurt by that. And you know yourself well enough to know when I'm hurt, sometimes I go on the attack. Yeah. Right? And so when you, if you were able to be, have the awareness, oh, I'm really hurt by that. I don't want to go on the attack in response to that hurt. So I'm going to hang on to myself mm-hmm. and ask Jesus you know, quickly here to meet me in this and to help me be who and how I want to be in this interaction inspired yeah. by hurt. And that might mean naming the hurt, mm-hmm. but it might, it might mean I'm gonna deal with this and look at it later and just hanging in the conversation in the ways that makes sense to you.
0: Yeah. Okay, those are really, those are, that's lots to chew on there. Um, all right, let's move on to talk about rhythms. And you have a number of very practical suggestions when it comes to ways that we can revise our life rhythms. I'd love for you to talk about this idea of taking better breaks. This one stood out to me in particular because we're currently running an online book club um, at The yeah. Well using Felicia Song's book, Restless Devices. Awesome. So there's a lot of conversation about how we use our downtime and what place devices have in our lives and things like that. So tell us about taking better breaks.
1: Let me start with my hormone soup metaphor. Yes. Because I feel like it is a really helpful one To understanding the daily, hourly kind of self care that I'm hoping people really adopt from my book. If you imagine your body is like a vat of soup that you're cooking up every day, okay, and you've got soup stock at the beginning of the day, and then during the day, you're going to be putting in different ingredients and the ingredients you have at your disposal are stress hormone and happy hormone. I'll mm-hmm. say just to, to, for simplicity's sake. Sure. Um, and so I, 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 to back up a step, I, I got the idea of this metaphor when I had um, my housemate made tortilla soup and accidentally put in a tablespoon of cayenne Instead of a teaspoon of, <laughs> we, we, like, we, we were all trying to eat the soup And about four bites in, we had to abandon, you know, uh, um, the, the soup, but it, it made me realize like, oh, when, when life is stressful, when things are going at a really fast clip, we're getting a lot of stress hormone dumped into our soup. Right. And seasoned chefs, when too much spice has been gotten into your soup, will tell you, like, you can do things to help the soup. You mm-hmm. don't have to dump it every time you can put brown sugar in sometimes or put in a lot of potatoes, it'll soak up some of the spice. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about like, if we're cooking up soup in any given day. that's made of stress hormone and happy hormone and stress hormone is already really dumped in there. And that can be from, you know, life stressors and just busy seasons in life or, you know, things completely out of your control, like systemic racism, poverty, um, illness, Mm -hmm. children, um, you know, really struggling and things that just, just happen in life that you're starting off your, your day's soup. It's probably, it's already over overly spiced. And so you can do things to add, you know, happy hormone into, into your day. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things that are really doable that you can do. Um, and the better break kind of came out of thinking about this because Mm -hmm. so many of us, even just very practically, like when you take a break from um writing or prepping for a course um or studying, what do you do? Go on your phone. You go on your phone. Okay. No. What you do when you go on your phone (laughs) is it can be it can be a nice break, maybe. You know, if you see, oh, my friend texted me or, oh, I got 75 likes on my post, you know, or what have you, you can be like, yay. And you get, you know, it's like potatoes, brown sugar put in your soup. Like it's it's a lift. It's really, you know, mm-hmm. chemically, hormonally good for you and your body. But that's not usually all that happens. <laughs> you also see a headline. Mm-hmm. You see that um, crazy text stream with all your friends about, Um, what's happening at the local middle school, you, you know, you see the alarming email about your, um, course, you know, the bad review you got or whatever, ah, Mm -hmm. you get all that too. And so picking up our phone can be a way we connect with, with people. I'm not anti-phone, but a better break represents doing something that actually changes the hormonal influx in your body in a given time. And so Mm -hmm. a better break might be mindfully sipping a cup of tea while you look out the window. It might mean really stopping and truly listening to a worship song or praying the hours. Mm -hmm. It might mean sitting in silence. A better break is one that truly does take you out of high gear. It It puts different hormones into your body. And even though you may think it doesn't make a difference, the small and steady and consistent influxes of the brown sugar and potatoes in your life really does help that soup taste better in a given day. Mm -hmm. And what what people get duped into is thinking, oh, those little things don't really, they don't really mean very much. I'm just going to keep going, you know, full steam ahead until you know, Christmas break when actually these small things do make a difference at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, it was really hard to be all of us. It was really hard to be all of us. One thing that was hard, <laughs> about, hard about my work was that session after session represented people trying to utilize me to support them about the things that I was dealing with too, you know, right. <laughs> which happens sometimes, you know, every once in a while and, in a day, but usually not like session after session after session, you know, it's collectively freaking out about the same things. And we, I had a group supervision where we talked about how do we take care of ourselves? And we talked about small things like this. And I, I decided to do like a sun salutation and breath prayer practice in between
2: Mm. my sessions
1: during that time. And all told that took, you know, less than, five to seven minutes of my day to do, but it was such a change yeah. in the kind of the gears and getting a different influx of hormones. So it counts, people, it counts. Yeah. I hope people can really believe me and hear this. It counts because we are a vat of soup of that's made up of hormones. And if we're overdone on stress hormones, we're gonna feel bad. We're gonna feel edgy and fragile. That's just physiologically a reality. Yeah. And so the other hormones coming in does make a difference.
0: So at the end of your book you sort of put all these pieces together and you give some suggestions for arranging routines that promote a fulfilling life. I love this vision of a fulfilling life. And you have um you have a wonderful way of talking about training yourself for focused work and then also being really clear about what brings you true pleasure. Can you talk about those things a little bit? Yeah. I, I try to walk readers
1: through how to develop a a daily fulfillment recipe, you know, what to learn, what is truly fulfilling to you. So there are a lot of things that can fit into that category, but to the, to the two things that you've just mm-hmm. mentioned um, fulfilling work, so many of us, and, and I'm sure that a lot of your listeners can relate how, just to how wonderful it feels when, when you, you finish an article, you know, when you complete grading, mm-hmm. when you, when you, and you, and it was in a, you done in a timely way and you were just on and you were focused, you didn't allow yourself to be interrupted. And then you feel like, oh, I love that I love the product of this. Mm-hmm. That again, will give you what an influx of happy hormones Mm -hmm. and just a deep level of satisfaction, even maybe a sense of, I was made for this. Mm -hmm. This is why God put me here. And too often I'm finding that the people I'm working with have lost the art of sustained focused work Mm -hmm. because they have their phones near them when they're trying to work yeah and because most of us um I, and, and I'm sure a lot of uh, your listeners can agree can relate to this, but most of us have developed a habit of reaching for our phones when we feel any kind of discomfort
2: mm-hmm.
1: um or you know slight anxiety so when i'm when I'm writing, when I'm prepping for a presentation, when I feel that i I can watch my hand leaving my body to go and grab the phone to sort of have a little fix mm-hmm. of whatever the phone's going to give me, which again, maybe a nice fix, maybe a stressful fix. We don't know. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I, oh my goodness, I need to learn to kind of tolerate the distress of that anxiety and stay on task. Otherwise, I mean, I've I've worked with young adults who I'll say, how long does it take you to prep this kind of meeting? And they're like, you know, seven hours, like, <laughs> like <some laughs> incredible amount of time. I mean, they're like, I don't know. You know, I'm like, well, how much of the time are you letting yourself be interrupted? And they're like, oh, constantly. Mm-hmm. And I, this should only take you an hour and you should feel really good about it when you're finished. Mm-hmm. And instead people have these like never, they're never quite finished because they've never learned to focus in on the work. And so I'm, I'm all about that. So focus work, yes. And the true pleasure piece, again, I, I find that when I, um, come home and, and I've worked hard during the day, I will be tempted to, you know, check social media to kind of give myself a break. And I will probably feel not that great, you know, after 15 minutes of scrolling, mm-hmm. if I sit down and read a book, uh, I'll feel really nice. Yeah. It's, it's truly pleasurable to me to read, but I, it requires intentional effort to sit myself down and do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, similarly, I was, um, you know, going out, I was in a time I was really um, crunching on, you know, finishing this book and a lot of things were going on in my life. And I was just going out for a walk and I was dialing up like a podcast, you know, cause I love me some podcasts. <laughs> so, and, and then I thought, you know what? I don't need more information in my brain right now. I'm just going to like listen to some groovy tunes here while I do, you know, and it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. The, the pleasure of these enjoyable, you know, songs that kind of helped me pick up my pace. And that was just, it was wonderful. I, mm-hmm. I think that there's no reason that we um, can't, I mean, I would say with the exceptions of just, you know, devastating times in our life, um, that, that we can't intentionally put some pleasure into every day
2: yeah,
1: and, and we're not doing it because we're not intentional. Mm-hmm. And so and that, and, and the fulfillment that we get from that kind of, you know, shifting gears, just doing one thing that, that gives us that kind of lift. It, it translates over time into a more fulfilling life. Yeah.
0: So your, your book is really, it is rich with strategies and ideas for this kind of flourishing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking about our listeners now um, who will be hearing this interview in early November, which is deep in the semester, possibly oh, yeah. feeling quite swamped for someone who's feeling a little overwhelmed right now. What would you recommend? What would be a good place to start? in their in their healing journey.
1: Well one I want to start with an encouragement that it is okay to move fast and mm-hmm. have go go times and times where life is really at a clip and very intense. Jesus had times like that. And what becomes problematic is when we never have slow
2: mm-hmm. in the midst of it.
1: So moving fast and slow and alternating is what we're going for and something like taking a better break at this point in the semester right where you are is something that is accessible and you can do it daily and it's eminently doable but that better break then you can craft it according to kind of your own sense of like what's pleasurable and what's nice to do like the is it a cup of tea or is it looking out the window at the wind blowing the leaves or some mm-hmm. practice of silence. Is it the mid, you know, reading the midday prayers or, or just reciting a song out loud? You know, a better break is something that, you get, no matter how busy you are, you can do a better yeah. break.
0: So I, that's where I'd say, start there. Yeah, do that's that. a good place. Yeah. I love that. Well, your book releases on November 8th and it's available for pre-order and we'll add a link to that in the show notes. Um, and so how else can people find you or follow your, your work, Janice?
1: Oh yeah. Well, you can go to my website, janicemcwilliams.com and learn a bit more about me. I also have a hormone soup resource um, for you. If you like that idea, it mm-hmm. just has like 50 daily and doable self-care ideas. And you can find that at hormonesoupresource.com and, and get that resource. I hope that you'll get it, um, and make your own plans for what are ways that you can insert more brown sugar and potatoes (laughs) into your life. Um, (laughs) and think of your own because I I'm really passionate about people really feeling empowered to know how they can make themselves feel just a bit better, even in times of great stress Mm -hmm. and great difficulty by knowing how to make a moment or an hour feel better in their day.
0: I learned a lot from reading Janice's book and from our conversation, and I'm really grateful to have access to these strategies as I approach the coming season with all of its busyness. I encourage you to pre-order a copy of Janice's book. It releases on November 8th, so you won't have to wait too long for it to arrive. And if you listen to the end of the credits, you'll get to hear a bonus from our conversation where Janice shares her favorite prayer and how you can use it in your own life. The Women Scholars and Professionals podcast is hosted by me, Ann Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this excerpt from my interview with Janice in which she shares her favorite prayer.
1: Okay, my favorite prayer is, Jesus, what are we going to do with me? And I love this prayer because when you're thinking about the entire spectrum of emotional experiences and responses that we have, and you wonder at the idea that we are creatures created by a God who gave us all these emotions mm-hmm. and who, who who seems to experience emotions. We um, aren't entirely solely responsible for our own yeah. emotional responses. You know, we we can't help them; they just happen to us. Same with Thoughts that drop into our head—we can't, we don't choose them. They pop in, you know. Mm -hmm. And emotion, emotional reactions—they happen. Then, then we got to figure out what we're going to do. And I say, Jesus, what are we going to do with me? Mm -hmm. Is a pretty good response (laughs) because this is not all on me. Yeah, this together, um, you made me like this, you know. Help me out with this. What do I do with these big, big feelings? And and how do I how do I walk through this without completely, you know? wounding my beloveds or, you know, wrecking an opportunity or whatever you might do. If, if you're not able to kind of have that awareness to be able to be who and how you want to be and relation in an experience. So I love that prayer. I, I hope that many of your listeners will adopt it as their own because it, it's a, it's a self-compassionate and a relationship with Jesus affirming prayer. Yeah, it it puts things where I think they ought to be. And so often when I'm working with clients or directees, it breaks my heart when I ask, "What's it been like bringing this big painful thing, whatever it is, into your relationship with Jesus?" And a lot of times they they pull up short and say, "Oh, I haven't," mm-hmm. because I'm not supposed to bring that emotion into my relationship with Jesus right I've got to get it fixed then I can go and pray and I think ah, oh, no right, right. <laughs> there's no better place for that painful thing for that that just unwieldy difficult emotion to be than in your relationship with Jesus yeah so I love it as a starting place